0: Be sure to check out our laser engraving personalization options and exclusive colors on the website, or you can get a blank one on Amazon Prime. All right, well, first and foremost, I hope everyone's being safe out there. We are having another bitterly cold day in Wisconsin. I think it's negative 11 or negative 12 or something like that. Um, but uh, we're used to that. It's, it's pretty, always, pretty much always cold here during the winter, and I know there's a lot of people around the country who are experiencing very cold temperatures. Um, so obviously, I, I wish you all well and hope you're all being safe. Today's topic is a rabbit hole that I have been really working on for the last um, week, week and a half, and it has been interesting to say the least. And I want to say up front, this episode probably is going to be a little bit of a longer one because there's a lot to cover, and I don't want to cut it short because of time, so I'm going to do my best to just cover what needs to be covered. Um... It will lead into Thursday's episode, which is a different topic, but a related topic. Uh, So uh, definitely, uh, definitely feel free to tune back in on Thursday for that topic. But um, I was thinking about cryptocurrency. So I was one of those people who kind of thought Bitcoin was kind of an interesting fad for a long time. Obviously, in my lifetime earlier, it went from nothing to $19,000 and then back to like $4,000 of Bitcoin. Almost instantly. And I thought that that bubble was probably going to be the end of it because I was very naive about what Bitcoin is and what Bitcoin was. Well, uh, Tesla, for those of you who didn't notice, said that they're going to bought $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin. And um, that pretty much cemented Bitcoin at the top of the peak. Now, I've actually bought Bitcoin a lot in the past couple of months. I think it's a good investment long term. Um, I do think it is going to be a major currency in the future, if not a great store of wealth. And there's a couple of reasons why I'm very bullish on cryptocurrency. I think cryptocurrency in general, obviously Bitcoin is the big name and you, know, you, know, you want to invest in the big name. But I think there is a lot of reasons why I think Bitcoin will succeed and a lot of reasons why Bitcoin won't. So I want to go in more detail about that. First off, what is Bitcoin cryptocurrency? Very short. Cryptocurrency basically is a digital store of wealth. And you may ask yourself, well, what does that mean? And that's a good question fundamentally the concept of a transaction the concept of money especially now that our money isn't backed in anything is a just an agreement that the money is worth what you say it's worth and that you agree that we all agree that it transacting it happened right so fundamentally I mean if you think about it your credit card is no different fundamentally it's just a ledger right you you have money that comes in and money that goes out and as long as that ledger is valid and isn't tampered with we all agree that it's the case right we all agree that you have the money that you say you have in the bank based off of the ledger the way cryptocurrencies functionally work is they take that ledger and they distribute that ledger amongst a lot of people in a completely decentralized way and because they distribute that ledger and they all keep track of that ledger what ends up happening is that it's hard to corrupt that ledger i'm not saying it's impossible It hasn't happened yet as far as we're aware, but it's difficult to corrupt that ledger. And I could be wrong on that, so obviously feel free to mention it in the comments if you think I've missed something. But that's a very short version of it. Now, the advantages of a cryptocurrency is that functionally speaking, it doesn't require a a third-party centralized unit like a bank or like a credit card processing company to do it, right? You and I can transact money without having... Any third party. It's very similar in many ways to cash in that regard. And it's hard to think of it that way because we've always, in the modern world of digital currency, we've never had a decentralized currency, right? If you wanted to buy something with your credit card, that was a third party that was facilitating that payment, mainly the credit card company as well as the bank. Well, recently, a lot of things have happened that have made me more bullish on crypto. And to give you more context, I'm going to go even further back in history to the Third and Fourth Amendments. Now, the Third Amendment is that the government cannot quarter soldiers in your home, and the Fourth Amendment protects from unreasonable searches and seizures of property. Now, functionally, the Third Amendment for a lot of us is kind of a weird one. Like, why would that quartering soldiers in your home be an issue, right? Why would that? And functionally, it's because that is like putting a spy in your home. And the Founding Fathers had just come out of a war where the British soldiers were quartered in their homes and did function in many ways as spies. So I think in many ways what they were capturing in both the Third and Fourth Amendment is the right to privacy, which has been litigated and discussed ad nauseum for the last two decades, if not longer. And it brings up a really interesting point, which is the idea that the government cannot unlawfully go into your home and spy on you. The government cannot... Unlawfully go into your search history or your banking records or any of that stuff to find stuff without good, without reasonable cause. And they have to go present that to a judge who decides that that cause is reasonable. And I think that is a wise way of setting things up because the problem is this. We know that while we like to think of the government as, in many ways, a, a benevolent thing, I think a lot of people like to look at the government that way. Unfortunately, the government is made up of people, and people are sinful. They have their own biases and their own agendas, and at times they can use their power in their position for both good and for bad. And there have been plenty of instances where people have unreasonably been subjected to scrutiny or persecution based off of their, well, based off of just about anything. Martin Luther King Jr. was put in jail quite a few times, right? Like, people can, the government can use its power for evil. That's absolutely a fact. And it does. And so by having the Third and Fourth Amendment, the idea was that you'd have to have a judge and the likelihood of all of that system being corrupt is hopefully at least limited. So that was fundamentally the core. Recent events have brought to light certain instances where third parties think big tech, big business, big banks, are willing to give the federal government data on their consumers, on their customers, without being requested. And if you're curious as to a most recent example, you can look, at, look up Bank of America. They recently turned over all of the credit card data associated with their customers for anybody who was in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, unprompted. Now regardless of what you think about what happened on January 6th, no matter whether you're one direction or the other, the idea that a credit card company, and functionally a bank, would unprompted give the federal government all of that data should concern you because just as easily as that can go in your favor if you're on one side, it can go against you. I was one of those people that believed that, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, why would you care about what the government could see? And it was pointed out to me that, for example, weed was illegal in almost every state, well, in every state, for a long time. People still smoked weed. And now, it's legal a lot of places. What I'm trying to say by that is we have to be careful about how much power we give the government, and we need to understand that it's important to respect individuals' privacies. And currency is a very interesting problem with privacy, because especially nowadays, it's very difficult to transact things in private. And you may say to yourself, "Well, why would you want to have a transaction happen in private?" Well, just think of one example. Maybe you don't want your prescription medicine to show up on your credit card bill. Maybe you don't want the fact that you shopped at, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a place, Victoria's Secret, right? That's a bad example, but let's just say you didn't want people to know that you shopped there. If your credit card data, if your transaction data is not private in a real sense, that gets problematic. So I think cryptocurrency is going to provide a very important aspect of privacy in the future. Because there's no central government, there's no central authority, there's no central bank, there's no central credit card that can track it. So privacy is is paramount. And essentially, functionally, it works in many ways like cash does from a privacy standpoint. One of the things I think that matters when we talk about this conversation is the fundamentals of Bitcoin versus the fundamentals of other coins, right? Because they're not the same. Bitcoin was one of the first. And it fundamentally was a proof of concept of an idea that is much bigger than Bitcoin itself, which was the idea of a decentralized currency. And I would say, and obviously feel free to disagree with me in the comments, but I would say that Bitcoin has a couple of flaws at scale. First and foremost is that it is a proof-of-work model versus a proof-of-stake. Now, for those of you who don't know anything about Bitcoin, I'll try to keep it very concise and very short, but it's a little bit of a complicated thing, so try to stay with me. Proof-of-work fundamentally says this. We need to have... Well, actually, cryptocurrency in general requires this. We need to have a bunch of people with ledgers keeping track of the transactions. That requires a lot of people... Separately with computers that are all plugged into the internet that can all have the ledger copies in real time and the transaction data in real time being distributed to them. That requires computers, right? So it requires electricity, it requires all this. So you need to have a way to reward people for doing that. Well, if you're creating a cryptocurrency, the obvious choice is to reward people with the currency. That you're tracking, right? The cryptocurrency itself. But you can't reward everybody all the time. Otherwise, it completely inflates the currency. You can't give everyone a coin every time they help. Otherwise, it inflates the currency and it's useless. And you can't, you have to give it in some manner that is at least remotely fair or at the very least is random. And random is pretty fair, but not always. But the idea is that you can create a system where you can't reward everyone, so you reward a limited person or limited people at a time, but everyone has a chance to win it, so that they keep playing, right? Proof of work, which was the first version of this, came around. And, I mean, Satoshi Nakamoto, which is the or Satoshi Nakamoto is the person who. Well, we don't even know if that's a real person. We don't know who Satoshi Nakamoto is. That's the name that the paper that originally proposed Bitcoin was written. That was the, that was the name that was used for the credit. We don't know if it was a person. We don't know if it was multiple people. We don't know anything really about that person or the people. However, they came up with the idea of using a cryptographic algorithm, a problem that had to be solved in order to get rewarded for doing that. So you keep the computers on the network, the computers are keeping track of the ledger, and the computers are solving a problem, and whoever solves the problem first gets the coin, right? The computer problem. That's I think, a relatively fair way of doing it. And it incentivizes, in many ways, having very powerful computers beyond the network as part of the supporting of it. The analogy that I've, used, that I've heard that I like best is if you had a, a tray of dice, and it's three by three, so there's nine dice on the tray, and you have to shake the tray up and down and try to get all of them to land with the one up. right? Very difficult to do, very easy to validate. Well, that works pretty well. Except, as time goes on, as the transaction ledger gets larger, as more and more people get, you know, part of it, you need to create better and better and better and better computers. And we've created systems now where the only way to mine Bitcoin, which is what it's called when you get the coin because you got the, you, the cryptocurrency right first, is if you have very dedicated equipment. Not only does that dedicated equipment... Dedicated equipment costs money. It also requires a lot of electricity to solve that problem because the computer problem is hard to solve. So you have to have very powerful computers that take a lot of electricity to solve it. That creates a baseline cost to the currency. To each transaction, it creates a baseline cost because there's electricity that's an input. There's the machines that are the input. And those both are expensive things at the level that they're being used for Bitcoin. So you have transaction fees. Transaction fees vary from place to place, from market to market, but, for example, one, one transaction fee I saw recently was about 1.9%. Well, that's not terrible. Credit cards charge 3%, in case you're curious, if you've never, if you've never sold anything with a credit card. Um, it charges 3%, right? So, it's still better than credit cards. However, the more and more Bitcoin scales up, the more and more this becomes a problem. Fundamentally, also, because it's a proof-of-work model, and you have to validate those transactions it's a lot, there's a lot of time there's a lag in the time that that transaction is initiated between before that transaction is validated or finished right plus as a third factor to why i think bitcoin may have trouble in the future is that the transactions themselves are not shielded yes the wallets themselves aren't necessarily tied to any outside element right your wallet Your Bitcoin wallet isn't necessarily tied to your name. However, if you want to pull Bitcoin into something like US dollars, you have to do it on an exchange. And a lot of those exchanges do require your information to be validated, like your personal information. And so when you take your Bitcoin wallet, which is private, and you send money, you trade those coins for US dollars, and you take the US dollars out of the exchange. Now you're trackable. And now they have your wallet ID. And once you have someone's wallet ID, you can trace all of their their transactions all the way back in time. So fundamentally, while it is private, it is not private. So, I was, I'm very bullish on cryptocurrency because I think that it solves, in many ways, a lot of problems with the centralized banking. Fundamentally, also, for any of you who have been paying attention, the stimulus checks that have been written over the last year are just because of we're printing more money. We're just printing more money. And the problem is when you print more money, inflation goes through the roof. A hamburger is going to cost $10,000. I mean, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's, it, I'm not kidding when I say, though, that inflation is going to go wildly up, right? We're going to see the minimum wage go to $15, but only because they're going to inflate the currency to the point where $15 is the same as today's $7. That's the only way they're going to pull it off. Now, why do you say, why would the government inflate the currency like this? Fundamentally, it's because they're going to try to inflate their way out of the debt that the country owes, right? The country owes, I think, $28 trillion, $26 trillion, something like that, which is an absurd amount of money to owe anything, right? That's way too much money. Well, the simple solution, and it's a bad solution, is a fundamentally bad solution, is to inflate the currency to the point where $25 trillion is nothing. That's a disaster, economically speaking. It absolutely destroys an economy and it penalizes people who have saved because if you have $100,000 in the bank that you have saved and you have worked really hard for and they inflate the currency, it is worthless. And all that work, all that sacrifice, all that time is worth nothing. So I think the inflation is bad, but I think the inflation is coming because nobody wants to be fiscally responsible. Nobody wants to cut budget costs and nobody wants to deal with the problems that that takes. And so because of that, we're just going to print more money. So, as the U.S. dollar hyperinflates, which it will, every country in the world that has their currency reserves, their savings in U.S. dollars, which has been pretty stable up until now, they're going to have to find a new place to store their wealth. And it's going to be either commodities, which is eh, okay, or it's going to be something like Bitcoin. Because unlike the U.S. dollar, Bitcoin cannot be, there can never be more than 21 trillion Bitcoin, or 21 million, I'm sorry, 21 million Bitcoins. Now, a Bitcoin, by the way, can be broken up to eight decimal places. A single one of those is called a Satoshi. So, functionally speaking, we're not going to run out of Bitcoin. It'll just be smaller and smaller amounts of the decimal places that will become the regular currency. You're not going to trade one Bitcoin for a burger. You're going to trade 10 Satoshis or 100 Satoshis for a burger, right? Like, that's how it's going to play out functionally. But the point is that you're going to have to find that a lot of these other other countries are going to start using an alternative currency like Bitcoin. And functionally speaking, if the U.S. dollar goes to kaput, um, we're not going to be a superpower anymore. That's I mean, the dollar is the reason why in many ways we hold the position that we do in the world. And so if the dollar gets tanked and Bitcoin becomes the primary currency of storage of wealth, we're going to see a lot of issues. And I think that that's not going to be good playing out. But I think cryptocurrency itself is a very attractive alternative to the dollar because it can't be hyperinflated. They can't print more Bitcoin. It's built into the code of the coin itself. It is hardwired into the way the coin works that there can never be more than 21 million of them. And we don't know how many million of them were lost back when it was worth nothing and people like put Bitcoin on flash drives and then lost the flash drives, right? We have no idea. By the way, <clears throat> that's going to be the future of mining in case you're curious, like physical mining. People are going to go to dump- dumpsters. They're going to go to, you know, landfills, and they're going to go sort through the landfills and try to harvest, see if they can find um, computers that have Bitcoin on them. Because if one Bitcoin is worth, you know, a million and a half dollars, which is not out of the question, right? One Bitcoin could be worth $100 million in the future. That would be very reasonable. If it was the currency of the world and there's only 21 million of them or less, then, um, yeah, one of Bitcoin is going to be a very expensive thing. <clears throat> and if you've got a flash drive that's got 100 Bitcoins on it, because you threw it away when they were 50 cents a piece. Someone could dig up an entire landfill just to find that one thing, and it would be absolutely worth it. So that's going to be a fun little scavenger hunt for the future. Regardless, cryptocurrency is going to likely be the next major world currency. And we already see this in places in South America and Africa, where their currencies, their local currencies, are absolutely terrible. They're worthless currencies. They use Bitcoin and their smartphones, because a lot of them have smartphones, as the primary method of banking and keeping, you know, money, keeping storing value is they, they trade everything in Bitcoin. So, <clears throat> how do you solve the problems of Bitcoin, right? Because Bitcoin itself, fundamentally as a cryptocurrency, is likely to see hot, wide adoption, but it is not good at scale for transactions because of the problems I specified For 2012, I believe it was, somebody introduced the idea of what's called proof of stake. Now, proof-of-stake versus proof-of-work are very different things, and proof-of-stake is not perfect, but it has some serious advantages over proof-of-work. The way proof-of-stake works is this. You still have the same problems you had before. You need people with computers, online, connected to the internet, to support the ledger, to keep copies of the ledger. Now, that's not that difficult, and the ledger itself, functionally, is not that complicated of a ledger. It doesn't require that much computing power, for the most part. So, you don't need to have supercomputers to do it. Not really. You still need to limit the way you reward the coin, though. And that's a challenge. But the way proof-of-stake works is this. Let's say <clears throat> I've got, let's, let's use an example that I've really come to love, the coin PIVX, P-I-V-X, or PIV. P-I-V is kind of how you refer to it. Let's say I've got 100 PIV in my, in my wallet. My wallet's connected to the internet, and in this particular example, because this is the rules of PIV, my PIV has been in my wallet, my wallet's been connected to the computer, and nothing's been happening for 10 hours. My PIV become, go into the wallet, as called staking. So now my 100 PIV are staked. I can still spend them, I can still use them, but once I do use them, they are. I have to wait another 10 hours to stake again. Those 10, or those 100 PIV I have, function like 100 raffle tickets. And the system randomly picks one of those raffle tickets out of the pool of all of them to be rewarded. It's a little more complicated than that, but that's functionally and kind of fundamentally how it works. Now, what does this mean? Well, this means that if you've got a lot of PIV, you have a more likely chance of winning. So it does have its, it's, it's either a good thing or a bad thing, depending on how you look at, look at it, that it's not truly like equally fair, but it does essentially reward those who use the system more to its fullest extent which is a good thing for adoption, right? You want to create an incentive for people to adopt the currency and use the currency in a big way. And if you say, well, if you use the currency in a big way, you have a higher chance of reward, well, that's a reasonable, that's a reasonable place to start, I guess. So <clears throat> that's how something like PIV and PIVX works. So... When I was getting into this, I was, I was trying to find a cryptocurrency that I thought was going to be the one to replace the U.S. dollar. Because I think Bitcoin is going to be like gold. It's going to function like gold does in our world today as a store of wealth that is not transacted very much. It'll function as a great stable store of wealth, but it will not be very good for actually buying and selling things because of all of the problems I stated before. Slow times, high fees you know, issues with the privacy. So I was trying to find the best coin that was anonymous, had very low fees, and was fast. And I think PIV, after doing a little bit of research, I think PIV is the answer to that. PIV stands for Private Instant Verified Transactions. They call PIVX is what they call it. I think it might have been Private Verified Instant Exchanges, but I could be wrong. What PIV does is this. PIV has a couple of very cool cryptographic aspects to it that are, for example, things like called the zero coin protocol, which means that if you and I, like let's say you send me money, if we have that transaction shielded, which is an aspect of the cryptography, and we can do it, you click a button to create a shielded transaction, it's not that difficult. If we have a shielded transaction, it means that our two wallets are able to verify the amount and verify that both parties have the appropriate funds, if if it's Two ways, but at the very least, the one party has enough funds to transact. They're able to instantly transact that money and leave functionally no public trace of that. So there's no record of what the, the transaction necessarily happened or what happened in that transaction. Now you may say, how does that work with the ledger? It does, but I don't understand it fully myself, <clears throat> but it does. So that creates an instant transaction so that the instant part is very key. Most transactions happen within one second. They have to ha- happen much, like they have to happen, I believe, in less than 60 seconds by the function of the coin. It's not possible for them to last longer. So they have to happen quickly. The amount that you have in your wallet is not public to me when you send me money, unlike in other ways. So the, money that, the amount of money you have is private. It's instant, it's verified, it is private, and the fees are usually Less than one penny. Even at scale, they'll be less than one penny, basically, functionally speaking. They're a very small percentage. And unlike the fees for something like Bitcoin, where it goes to the miners, which creates the problem where the miners create a variable, the fees can vary, right? The, the way that it, the transaction fees work is it's burned away. So that, that little tiny fee is burned away, and it, it like is removed from the coin supply in the process. It doesn't go to anybody. They say, why would you do that? It's designed to fight inflation of the currency. It's actually a really smart way to design a, a currency inflation problem. So that's how something like PIVX works. I think that cryptocurrencies like PIVX, and there are other cryptocurrencies that are looking at proof of stake. Ethereum is a big one, or Ether I should say, is a big one that has discussed proof of stake. They may go to a proof of stake model. If they do, that will be very critical. They will be, that will be a big deal for them. But I think that that may, you know, but there are other currencies right now that are doing it, for example, like PIVX. And Bitcoin, I think, will always function in the role that it currently functions in. I do think early on it will be a currency that people will transact in. I do think there will be a time when you can buy a Tesla in Bitcoin. I think very quickly that will shift. And I think no longer will, I, I think over time, another coin will take Bitcoin's place as the primary cash transactional medium rather than something like Bitcoin. I'm very bullish on this. So much so that I am actively working on implementing tools on our website that allow for us to take our transactions in cryptocurrency. That is proving to be a challenge. But I am so bullish on this that I'm going to figure it out. We've got to be able to take cryptocurrencies on our website. It's going to be critical. And if you haven't bought cryptocurrencies yet, you should try it. If you Google how to buy cryptocurrency, it'll come up. I mean, you'll, you'll be able to figure it out. But if you really have trouble or you really are interested in more learning about this, there's some great YouTube videos out there. Go research Bitcoin, learn more about it or other cryptocurrencies. Um, and I think you'll really find that it, it's fascinating. It's very, particularly in the beginning, it's very trippy. It's hard to kind of wrap your head around. But once you get it, it's cool. So hang in there. As to the next topic, we will be talking about the steps that we are taking to begin to implement Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies as something that we will take on our website. And it's proving challenging in a very interesting way that may change the way we do things. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, Be sure to check back in Thursday for that next topic. And don't forget to check that subscribe button to be sure to... Get all of our uh, latest podcasts right away. Be sure to hit that notification bell because subscriptions don't mean that much anymore. They, uh, they don't necessarily notify you when we post a new video, so definitely hit the, the bell notification. <clears throat> if you have any questions or concerns about your leather binder, journal, folio, anything we sell, ask about us. Right, feel free to contact us on the main page of our website at mernycreative.co or you can contact us via Instagram and Facebook. You can text, email, call, direct message, all the usuals. I'll do my best to get back to you as soon as possible, but we do appreciate your patience. Um, we're a little bit behind on some of our emails. It's just the way it is after a long weekend. But if uh, if you have a quick question or you need to update something quickly, like you put the wrong address in or you forgot your apartment number or something like that, you can give us a phone call, 414-434-9001. That's our direct line. Um, we did recently launch a new text message platform. That is a marketing text message platform. Um, I'm still We're still in the very early phases of that. At the moment, nobody is monitoring if you text back on that platform. It's purely just for... Um, sending out media blast that will change in the future we will have someone monitoring but just at the moment while we're getting it all kind of rolling we don't so don't text that number text 414 434 if you've got quick questions that's 9 a.m to 5 p.m monday through fridays so um, definitely feel free to do that if you've got questions or concerns that are quick uh, if you think we deserve it a good review can go a long way to help us grow our new community uh, both a review on the podcast and whatever app you're listening on or a review on the product Go to merdicreative.co slash reviews to leave us a good, good review. Um, That'll take you to Facebook and and that we just use them as the third party so that you know that we're not just making them up. Um, If you have something that would cause you to leave a bad review, reach out to us, please. We want to do everything we can to make it right. It is very important to me as a small business owner that everyone who interacts with our company has a good experience, walks away happy. So if you've had any reason that it's a bad experience, please reach out to us. We will make it right. If you want to tell your friends about the company, uh, please do so. Word of mouth this is the best form of advertising. If you want to, there's a login button at the top of the website. You click login, and that'll allow you to uh, just sign in with an email and password. That's all you need to do to set it up. And then in the bottom left-hand corner, there's going to be a rewards tab. You click on that rewards tab. It'll keep track of the points. You get 5% off or 5% back, I should say, as in-store credit on any purchase you make. But there's also a shareable link in there. If you share that link with your friends and family and they make a purchase, they get $5 off their first purchase, and you get $5 of in-store credit. So check that out for the referrals. It's a really great way to share the company. If you have any podcast topics you want to hear more about, send them my way. I am always happy to engage with you guys, and I want to know more about what you want to know more about. So leave a comment below. Send me an email. We're happy to, to kind of talk about stuff, so definitely inquire. If you're looking for multiple binders for gifts, giveaways, menus, really any reason, ask about our bulk discounts. Minimum order quantity for the bulk discount starts at 5 Um, And that's either five of one thing or one of five things. Uh, It's just based off of the total cart quantity to qualify for those bulk discounts. And we do offer custom engraving logos and the things like that. We can't do photos very well, but we can do most icons and things like that. There are no minimum order quantities for custom engravings. You can get just one if you want. However, you can get both custom engravings and bulk discounts if you order more than five of those custom items. Send an email to sales at MertiCreative.co, sales at MertiCreative.co, with the image in the best, highest resolution you can provide, and uh, give some details about what product you're interested in or the location of the engraving that you're interested in, and uh, we'll be able to create a mock-up and a custom order link for you. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Have a great day, and goodbye.